0: Sound Opinions is supported by Goose Island, pairing beer and music since 1988. Goose Island Beer Company, Chicago, Illinois. Listen critically, enjoy responsibly.
1: What happened to music that meant something? The Who at the Kingdom or Kiss at the Coliseum. Where is the misty mountain hop? Where is the the smoke on the water? Where is the Iron Man of today?
2: A this is rock and roll!
3: The name doesn't lie. The New Jersey punk band Screaming Females is loud and ready to tear your house down.
4: I'm Greg Cott from the Chicago Tribune. And I'm Jim DeRogatis from WBEZ and Columbia College. The Screaming Females rock the Sound Opinion Studio this week. And we'll look at the famous Alan Lomax archive going online. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. You're listening to
3: Sound Opinions, and now it's time for some music news.
2: Tonight, tonight eternity's an open door.
5: No, don't ever stop doing the things you
2: do. Don't go, and every breath I take I'm free.
4: Greg, that is a little bit of a song called Euphoria by an artist from Sweden named Loreen. It is the winner of this year's Eurovision Song Contest. We like to report briefly on uh, who won Eurovision each year. It's like American Idol on steroids. 57 years old, this European contest draws 125 million viewers. And what it is, is you have artists from all these different countries vying for the honor of Song of the Year as determined by juries and television viewers who vote. This year, Eurovision was held in the capital city of the Soviet Satellite Republic like Azerbaijan, in Baku. They spent $134 million to build a crystal hall to house this contest. As I said, the winner's name is Laureen. She's a 28-year-old woman of Moroccan Berber descent, and that's a pretty standard kind of piece of dance pop. But, you know, everybody was rooting for the underdogs here, a sextet from another town in Russia called Buranovo, who go by the name Babushki, grandmothers, <laughs> six Russian grandmothers who had a song called Party for Everybody, kind of this folksy little ditty, which they performed while while doing choreographed baking on stage as part of their routine. We got to listen to a little bit of the Russian grandmothers here
5: everybody, thank
4: Vision's Losers, but one of the most memorable acts, Boronovo's Babushki.
2: I wish that this night would never be over. There's plenty of time to sleep when we die. So let's just stay awake until we grow older. Never have
3: That is Adam Lambert with the song Never Close Our Eyes from this week's number one album in America. Lambert, as you'll recall, was the runner-up from the eighth season of American Idol in 2009. He displaced another former American Idol contestant, Carrie Underwood, in the number one spot on the Billboard charts this week. That makes seven Idol acts who have hit number one on the pop charts, Jim. I mean, whatever you want to say about this show, it has dominated the pop charts in the last decade during the lifespan of that particular show. But the bad news for American Idol this year is that the ratings were down massively. The finale was down 32% from 2011, and ratings overall were down 23%. And one of the reasons that has been cited by a lot of people who watch the show regularly is that here we have yet another year in which a, quote, white guy with a guitar philip phillips one he follows in the august tradition of scotty mccreary david cook chris allen lead wise you're saying kinda boring you know it's getting to be a little bit samey sounding The other thing that's going on here is that Idol has spun off all this competition. You've got The Voice with Christina Aguilera, CeeLo Green, Adam Levine, and Blake Shelton as judges, which in its second season, I think, proved to be the main competition for Idol this year. Plus, they got those really nifty chairs. (laughs) They got those big thrones that they turn around when they like a particular singer. We need to get us two of them. Very gimmicky, but it worked, apparently. It is now the main competition for American Idol. We also have this duet show on ABC with Kelly Clarkson and John Legend as judges. Wasn't a huge ratings winner, but it was uh, fairly decent. I mean, it was holding its own against some comedy reruns. The X Factor, I think, is lying in wait to take over. That's the spin-off show from Simon Cowell, the former American Idol judge. And he's going to be joined by Britney Spears and Demi Lovato for the second season of that particular show. And then a lot of hype for this America's Got Talent contest show on NBC with Sharon Osbourne, Howie Mandel, and Howard Stern as the judges on that particular show. It was the highest rated primetime show on Memorial Day, so you kind of wonder you know with this great success that Lambert has had, is Idol ever going to spin off another chart topper because there 's all this competition out there watering down the potential winner. Is that a good thing? I think a lot of people may say an era may be ending, and good riddance. <laughs>
5: Get drunk and stay the night.
3: That's Amanda Palmer from the Dresden Dolls with a single, Do It With A Rockstar. Her forthcoming album is being funded by her fans to the tune of $1 million. Now, go back to several years ago when we had Jill Sobiel on the show, that uh, California singer-songwriter who financed one of her albums, through her website, raised about $80,000, $90,000, basically saying hey, I'll give you X if you give me Y amount of money in return I will give you a free download, I will name you in the thank yous on my album Kickstarter, a company based in New York has taken that idea and run with it. Over the last few years, Kickstarter says, they have gotten 20,000 projects off the ground for about $200 million of crowdsourced funds I think the Amanda Palmer story is their biggest success yet in the music field. Palmer is a veteran artist. She's been around for a number of years. She set a goal of $100,000. She surpassed that within a day and got 10 times that amount
4: from more than twenty thousand donors, you know. You know what's interesting there, Greg, is her former record label Roadrunner thought she was worth about two hundred thousand dollars to record her next album. Fans obviously said, "Heck no, you're worth five times more to us." <laughs> Thirty-four people
3: alone shelled out five thousand bucks a piece for a private house party with a She's going to be playing a lot of house parties, and there was one donor who uh, paid $10,000 for a dinner and an art sitting. One thing she is going to have is a big tax bill at the end of this, and there's going to be a massive tour later on this year. She's already booked shows in Berlin, London, Brooklyn, to pay off that huge tax debt that awaits her. Hang
2: your head, Tom Dooley, hang your head and cry. You killed Paul Laurie Foster and you know you're bound to die. You left her by the roadside where you begged to be excused. You left her by the roadside, then you hit her clothes and shoes. Hang your head, Tom Dooley, hang your head and cry. You kill poor Foster, and you know you're bound to die.
4: That is a little bit of the classic flat-picking guitar of Doc Watson, the 89-year-old North Carolina musician we recently lost Greg Earl Scruggs also passed recently the banjo legend. As these giants of American roots music pass from the scene, it becomes more and more important to think about preserving their legacy. And I don't think anyone has done that better than the Alan Lomax Archive. Just thinking about the records we have in our basements, there are literally hundreds of blues and gospel and folk recordings that we own that the archive has released. Now, if you take into account the records that sample Alan Lomax recordings or which were inspired by those records, the size of the musical footprint of the Lomax archive is nothing short of mind-boggling. Now, the Association for Cultural Equity, which oversees the Lomax Collection, is making 17,000 of Lomax's original field recordings available to stream online. It's part of a project they're calling the Global Jukebox. And here to talk about it is Don Fleming, Executive Director of the Association for Cultural Equity. Don, welcome to Sound Opinions. Well, thank you so much for having me on. So Greg and I have been fans of the archive for some time, but for those who don't know Don, what is a good, handy description of this collection?
6: If you don't know much about Alan Lomax, it's just good to know that he was a folklorist. He spent his whole life collecting traditional music from around the world. He did his own collecting, and then on top of that, he collected from other people who were out there in the field doing the same thing. So... What he ended up with from his life's work was one of the largest collections that represents traditional music from around the world.
4: And it was at a very important point in time, right? I mean, the new technology, there's this big, monkey tape recorder. He was able to take and record artists who were 80, 90 years old, or sometimes much older even, and catch them while they were still alive before they disappeared.
6: Yeah, that's a great point. You know, he was there in the 20th century when electricity happened. And before then, there were no radio stations and no jukeboxes. People sang songs to each other. You know, a song would become a hit when it traveled from the south of England to the north of England. And when Alan came along, he recognized that that was sort of getting lost because of the technology of records and of radio, that people weren't singing to each other anymore and passing songs along in their families. So he he would go out and look for the pockets where those kind of songs still existed. So he was using the technology that was sort of destroying traditional music to document it and help save it and then putting records out of it to help promote it and make it part of like the the language again.
2: Lord I can hear mine, my name a all up and down the line. Lord I can hear mine.
4: And you've called him a sort of Johnny Appleseed figure.
6: Yeah, I think what we do especially is kind of a Johnny Appleseed with his collection in that we're trying to give it back out to all those communities again and to the world. He was harvesting, you know, his whole life. And now I think we're out there trying to spread around those, uh, the seeds that came from that harvest. It's an amazing archive, Don. We're talking about like
3: 17,000 tracks, right?
6: Yeah, everything that we've preserved and transferred digitally of his work, this is what we've now put up on our ACE online archive.
3: So this is essentially the foundation of traditional and folk music in North America. I mean, there's nothing else like it. People may not know that Lomax was the first guy to record people like Muddy Waters and Woody Guthrie. What for you has been a revelation in terms of listening to all this material?
6: You know, people you mentioned, like Woody Guthrie and Leadbelly and Pete Seeger and people like that, I think what's above and beyond about those people are they're sort of cultural bearers. You know, they knew not just one kind of song. Leadbelly wasn't just a blues guy. Like, he knew children's songs, ballads, and square dance music and everything else. One of the main ones that really impressed me is uh, Bessie Jones. She was from Georgia. She was one of the Georgia Sea Island singers. And Alan interviewed her extensively, like he did with Woody and Leadbelly, where it was really an oral biography. You talk about how you used to imitate her. The, week, the next week, me
2: and my cousin and the other children go down in the field, and we would just mark Jack and make sure put on our whole long dresses and things. We just mark her and the mark how, how she would do it, you know, how she would sing. Go wash and that beautiful stream, first stream. Go wash and that beautiful stream, for stream. Go name on, go name man go down
4: and why You can see her. Go wash and that beautiful stream.
6: So I think she's one of the really phenomenal ones that is probably more overlooked.
4: Don, you've always been a supporter of young artists. I mean, your record-producing credentials in the uh, indie rock world are phenomenal. You know, Sonic Youth and Teenage Fan Club, Nancy Sinatra, how cool is that, right? The fact that we now have 17,000 of these timeless songs available for free streaming. What do you see young musicians do? I mean, we've had some famous examples. Moby made the whole play album rating uh, wonderful samples from the Lomax Archive. Yeah, yeah. What are the other possibilities?
6: Well, there's two main things that I think come out of it that appeal to musicians. And I would say that throughout... The history of it, it's mainly been musicians who have championed Lomax and what he collected by doing it themselves. You know, people covering House of the Rising Sun or Rock Island Line. In in the past, it was just people covering it, and the folk revivals really relied a lot on the books he and his father put together. What's changed is now people sample music, and I think that. Younger musicians have more of a likelihood of using things as samples as they will to actually just cover it. And I think what's interesting to me is that idea that before lawyers and and labels and publishers really took hold and told people you can't use someone else's song, that's how songs were made. British ballads were basically people saying, like, well, I like this melody. I'm going to change the words to fit this story and that's the way people wrote music. And I think people are kind of doing that now with sampling. They're taking stuff from the 60s and 70s mostly and and reworking it into a new song. And that's really, in a weird way, following that tradition that came before electricity. There's two samples in this new Bruce Springsteen album that just came out. Mm. It's always great when someone on that level does it, but we definitely encourage people to use the the songs as samples and I get requests from a lot of musicians without a label, which I strongly encourage Mm -hmm. Just DIY kind of projects we make it available to them, we want people to use them for those kind of things that's the way it's going to be kept alive and you just reuse it really.
4: Fascinating work Don Fleming is the executive director of the Association for Cultural Equity Don, thanks so much for talking to us
6: Sure, thanks guys, appreciate it
4: now we want to hear from you. What do you think about pop music
3: sampling folk music? And what artists would you like to hear work with the Lomax Archives? Call our hotline now, 888-859-1800, or follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Coming up on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX, members of the punk trio Screaming Females talk to us about keeping the DIY ethic alive.
2: But just to the hand of God, they death to my home. He brought oh, death to mind.
3: Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim Dirigatis, and we turn now to our conversation with the Screaming Females. Led by singer-guitarist Marissa Paternoster with King Mike on bass and Jared Darty on drums, the band from New Brunswick, New Jersey, puts a heavy edge on indie music. They put out their first record in 2006, and they're now touring behind their fifth release called Ugly, which features all the hallmarks of the Screaming Females sound. We're talking about fierce guitar solos, really aggressive drumming, and front and center those pin-your-ears-back vocals from Marissa Paternoster. We had the trio in the studio recently to perform the new tracks live, and we started out by asking Marissa about their origins. So Marissa, you and uh, Mike started this group together, but there were other incarnations. You were in other bands before Screaming Females. so met in high school, started a band. Did that band sound anything at all like where, where you're at now?
0: Well, we were only in one other band. It was called Surgery on TV, which I think is a great name. And Mike was still in high school, but I had just started college. And uh, no, we didn't sound anything like Screaming Females. We were a funky jam band. It was a a dark time.
3: (laughs) You've you've said that before. I've interviewed you before, and I have a hard time picturing you being in a jam band. It was
0: all against my will. We
1: can play it for you, but after, not on
3: the show. Yeah, in private. So it was kind of noodly, and there was a keyboard player and Well, he knew
0: all this stuff about music that I didn't understand, like the circle of fifths. So it was really (laughs) intimidating. And I love him very much to this day. But um, I I just kind of let him go with it. Uh Because I was like, well, this guy knows about music. I don't know.
4: It was a great name. It Thanks. is a good name. Surgery uh, yeah. on TV. Somebody needs to resurrect that name.
0: <laughs> well, you know, it's they can't because it's mine.
4: We should explain for people who aren't familiar with the New Jersey music scene of the last ten or fifteen years, really, what a hotbed New Brunswick has been. What was that like and uh, coming
1: together there? Are a lot of basement parties, right? Not even many real clubs. Central Jersey is definitely lacking in um permanent infrastructure for cultural events <laughs> there which means there's not really any venues and uh, the venues there are there are bar venues so New Brunswick kind of it's been a long history it goes uh, up and down but there's this uh, basement show thing that's been happening for a long time and right around the time that our band formed it was a particular height for that there was a ton of bands playing all touring out of this small town, all putting on shows themselves and their friends' houses. And mm. it was, uh, it was, it's still going on. It goes on all over the country, um, in different small towns especially. And New Brunswick just had a particularly great moment right as we were playing, starting to play. So it was really good for our development.
3: Well, before we go on, how about a song from uh, Screaming Females? What are we going to hear?
0: Okay, this song is called It All Means Nothing. It's the first single on our new record, Ugly. <laughs>
4: Dreaming Females with a song called It All Means Nothing from uh, album number five, Ugly. Let's pick up chronologically. Jarrett, let me me ask you this. The band begins playing at basement shows. DIY, the do-it-yourself ethic, is key to what you guys are doing. And you self-release the first album. You know, it's an easy
1: thing to say, but what does that actually mean? Well, um, I I knew so many bands, especially kind of late 90s, early 2000s, who... Uh, you were so it was so available to just kind of burn a cd out of your computer for the first time and just write your band's name on it and pass it around to your friends and it only cost uh, the price of a spindle of cds you know to Mm -hmm. do that and i really felt like it was kind of a a dark time for a a lot of music because a lot of my favorite bands, like those CDs would get so scratched or end up at the bottom of my car or something. And it was just (laughs) lost forever. It seemed like so. And
4: it always takes away from it a little bit when the CD says office Depot, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I think a lot of people, they would come up with creative ways to cross out the Staples logo. (laughs) But, uh, but I knew, I knew for, this is my first band, you know, and I had, I had, I was, 21 or 22 years old, I had given up on ever being in a band, and when this fell into my lap, I uh, I was really ready to make sure that if nothing else, we put out one album, you know. So uh, no one wanted to do it for us. We weren't under. I I don't think we even thought about somebody else releasing the album. We just recorded it in my attic on a computer and uh, pressed up the CD. And I'm sure there was a bunch of errors in the artwork and. Problems on that end, but I think we did a really great job. And I know that a lot of bands in the area and the guy who runs our label now, Joe Steinhardt, was they were impressed. They were like, it was basically like a demo that was a real album. That was, you know, a lot of bands at that time in our area didn't even think they were good enough to play outside the area. Mm. Didn't think they were anything better than a than a demo on the internet. So I wanted to like immediately step outside that
3: well that aesthetic is applied to the shows as well you know kind of ambitious in that you were booking your own shows obviously now we talk about this basement scene you know the new brunswick new jersey basement scene but what does that really mean i mean it's a bunch of unconventional venues which i guess expanded to a bunch of unconventional venues in the region and then other parts of the country what is the weirdest most unconventional gig you guys have had
1: This question always goes, I always just immediately think of this house in South Carolina because uh, it was pretty much an abandoned house. There was no bathroom, no kitchen, no heat. They had electricity somehow. And we ended up meeting some of our best friends at that show. It was amazing. I feel like there might have only been 10 people there or something, but we met some really great other bands that were also on tour. But when I say there was no bathroom or kitchen, I don't mean like, they weren't working or literally like the door said death on it. And when you opened it up where the bathroom should have been, there was just an empty pit. Oh.
3: <laughs> it's funny because I think when people think of basement show, they think of like, Oh, a mom and dad's rec room downstairs and there's a bar, you know, in the corner and you know, we yeah. set up our instruments and it's really cute. a lamp. lamp.
0: We've done that too. Yeah. It was fun. We were, I think the basement got destroyed.
3: <laughs> we played it at a couple of parents' houses. And they were happy that you were there or not?
0: No, I forgot something and I walked downstairs. This is after the show was over. They had kicked all the kids out because the basement was getting torn apart. And I walked back downstairs because I forgot something. And the dad was down in the basement with his hands on his face. <laughs> and his <laughs> eyes are all like s- swollen with tears. Oh my and God. And a lot of the uh, like drop ceiling had like fallen out on the oh, ground. Wow. And a bunch of the kids that we knew stole all their Disney VHS cassettes. Mm -hmm. It was very sad. (laughs) I had nothing to do with any of that
3: The dark
4: underbelly of the DIY scene. Mike, how many times have uh, officers of the law, shall we say, showed up (laughs) when when you guys have been playing?
1: We've had shows that were shut down before they even happened. Jarrett and I lived in a house we were running shows at, and I guess the cops eventually were on Facebook emailing us, oh, what time is the concert? (laughs) Can I have... Can I have the uh, the address to the concert? And then our landlord found out and, I don't know, so many times. Yeah. It's sad. I'm glad you
4: guys have found a way to make music. Why don't you give us another song and tell us what you're going to play?
0: Okay. This song is called I Don't Mind It. It was the first single off our fourth album, which is called Castle Talk. And here it goes.
4: That's I Don't Mind It from the Screaming Females live in the Sound Opinion Studios. We've got more with the band coming up after a short break on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX.
2: I wanna show you something ugly.
3: Welcome back to Sound Opinions. That song, Slow Birth, is by our guest this week, the punk trio Screaming Females. Its members, Marissa Paternoster, King Mike, and Jared Darty, are all relatively young, but they're already on their fifth album called Ugly. Marissa Paternoster is known for her powerful vocal style, but she's also a great guitar player. And during our conversation, we asked her about her influences. come out of a scene where you know maybe guitar solos aren't celebrated you know if I know three chords on the guitar that's usually enough not to denigrate it but it, there's not a long tradition of that out of that scene you come out of obviously you're a few cuts above that level of guitar playing what were your inspirations your role models when you were a kid learning how to play
0: um when I started playing guitar um uh, my favorite bands were smashing pumpkins which have an inordinate amount of guitar solos and then i really liked pixies and i also really liked x both bands are have lots of guitar ish Mm -hmm. moments yeah i also really used like radiohead which i always forget
3: johnny greenwood yeah Yeah. but
0: they were one of my favorite bands when i was a kid
4: able to play those kind of solos i mean was it just hours and hours and hours in your bedroom learning to play because you know i think what greg was trying to say before is you shred
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean i I really like that band and i think i was i was really insecure about my playing because i was like oh well i'll never be able to play like those guys Hmm. you know they got bigger hands and (laughs) a lot of money and i'm sure they had lessons (laughs) i never had lessons but then i started listening to like Slater-Kinney, mm-hmm. and and like bands that were all women and were really, really good at playing their instruments. And I was like, ah, I could play with those ladies.
3: I, I understand that you wanted to get into a band. Was it a case of looking for the right people to, to get in a band with, or how, how difficult was that for a, you know, a woman guitar player to get into a band? I thought I was just going to
0: die if no one would let me be in their band. And there <laughs> was this new metal band in my high school called Relapse, and I... I asked them if I could be in their band. I remember I sent them an email. And, of course, they told me that I couldn't be in the band. I don't think it was because I was a girl. I think it's just because they didn't need me to be in their new metal band.
3: How about another song?
0: Okay. This song's called High, and it's going to be on our new record called Ugly. <laughs>
4: Screaming Females, high on sound opinions. I've been living with Ugly for a couple of days, uh, album number five. It seems to me it breathes more. It, it, you know, Some of the songs are longer. There's a lot of play with dynamics and tempo changes. Like we heard, that song kind of evolves throughout the whole course. What were the goals going in to make this record? What did you guys hope to accomplish?
1: I think that um, we went in to this record with the same goals that we've gone into every record with which is pretty simple and it's just to write new songs that we find interesting and hopefully record them the best we can. And it sounds really simple, but I think that it sort of uh, fits in with our band where we've never defined what we should sound like. We didn't start out saying we should sound like a mix of this band and this Mm -hmm. band. And having such an open sort of simple idea for the band, which is just write songs that we like, has allowed us to do anything that we wanted to. Well, Jared, can you have any distance on it?
4: How do you think it's evolved over the course of... Because it's been, you know, you guys have been playing since, what, 2006,
1: right? I don't know how it's evolved. It's definitely evolved. I mean, you listen to, I think each record has, is like a statement of where we were at the time. I think that we really end up being very influenced by the bands that we play with, the bands that we tour with. I know that on like the new record, Mike and I, stole this little change in a song from a band from New Brunswick that put out a, <laughs> a single 7-inch, you know? And, well, uh, and there's been some other bigger names, like Dead Weather, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, we've been on tour. We've had the unique opportunity to go on tour with a lot of uh, bigger bands, have opportunities to do a lot of uh, big things, you know, doing sound opinions and being on a small <laughs> small label from New Jersey. You're mistaken. Now your career ends here. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's because we're, you know, we have a very small operation that allows us to live off the band and do what we want to do. So there's never any pressure to, you know, this next record's really got to hit or else, you know, we're all going to be in the doghouse. You know, we've all, we've lived through times when we put out our own records and we're selling one or two a night and hopefully people would be at the show all the way to opening for bands playing for thousands of people, you know, selling tons of albums every night. So we've seen all that and we've kept pretty much the same operation through it all.
3: Was it intimidating coming out of that basement scene and and doing tours like The Dead Weather, which which was very high profile cuz Jack White was doing a new project. There was a lot of attention on that. You were probably in
1: front of a lot of audiences who had no idea who you guys were. What was that like? I think the fact that we were in front of audiences who didn't know who we were was nothing new. It was it was quite a different scale, but <laughs> we've always kind of had to convince people that they should pay attention to us you know most of the shows it would be set up by a local band and everybody would be there to see their favorite local band and who's that band on before them you know and uh hopefully you could get a couple of them to pay attention so maybe a little bit of our uh bombastic style came out of that we were just like listen to us we're loud (laughs) (laughs) is playing solos (laughs) so we kind of took that to the bigger stage and uh it seemed to have got across fairly well so we're here with
3: Screaming Females, Marissa, Mike, Jarrett. Uh, how about another song?
0: Yeah. This song is called The New Kid, and it's from our first album, uh, Castle Talk.
4: females with a new kid live on sound opinions to listen to more from the band and watch video of their performance visit soundopinions.org. greg what do we have on the show next week jim next week we're going to do an overview of the new wave of electronic dance music greg as always we have some thank yous to say Mary Gaffney and Andrew Gill helped out with the screaming females. Sound Opinions is produced by Jason Saldana and Robin Lynn, with the able assistance of Annie Minoff and Michael debonus and our fearless leader, our executive producer, Tori Southside Malatia. In the Eurovision contest, he was really rooting for the comeback by Engelbert Humperdinck. <laughs> On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So now it's time to hear what you have to say. New messages.
6: Hey, Greg and Jim, this is John from Chicago calling uh, just after hearing your disco show. You definitely saved the best for last. I was getting ready to fire on you guys saying, where's Chic in all this? Anyway, I think it's worth mentioning that that bass line for Good Times was recorded pre-Pro Tools. So that means he played eight minutes of bass on that song And just listen to the precision and how he
3: nails that the whole time.
6: It's not like now when it's like, okay, just give me one good take of it and I'll loop the thing for the whole song. These guys were totally solid musicians and and killing it. Hey, thanks a lot. Enjoy the show. Bye-bye.
2: Hi, my name is Kathleen Schaefer, and I just wanted to mention that I lived through the disco period and liked it a lot.
6: I'm from Chicago and we used to go dancing on top of McClummick Place where they had disco parties. But what I remember most is the people that seemed to really not care
2: for disco were the people that couldn't dance. I mean you couldn't fake disco. wasn't like the twist it wasn't like rock and roll i mean you really had to know how to dance and have rhythm to enjoy disco i'm really enjoying the show thank you
1: My name is Jenny, I'm from
3: Chicago. I was listening to your show about disco music and I'm very surprised that you guys didn't bring up Chicago house music, which is a huge genre and the fact that it was very much based on the beat of disco music, the four four beat. I just wanted to represent us and give us a shout out. It's still going strong and, and I'm
6: very proud to be a part of the audience. House music? It's amazing. Thanks a lot. Have a great day. Bye.
2: These things inside my soul, they make me lose control. It goes on and on.
1: Just clap to the beat, because Jesse thinks it's neat. On and on. Just say that it is the group.
3: Just say he makes you move. So on
1: and on.
6: My name is Whitney. I'm calling from Portland, Oregon, and I'm listening to Disco on Sound Opinion. And the one problem I have with the show is y'all saying Disco is dead, but Disco is not dead. You should look up Neighbor
3: from Vancouver some of the Fort Knox five and disco is alive and well in North America